Welcome to the latest episode of the Keeping Pace podcast. I'm your host, Mike Moreau. Bay Area native Connie Shea is my latest guest. Connie is a multi-talented person and we talk about everything from running to setting big goals, the idea of failure, and her favorite hobbies. Enjoy getting to know Connie. All right, Connie, how's it going? Thanks for joining me on this Friday afternoon. Yeah, Mike, thanks so much for having me. Of course, it's been something I've like wanted to ask you for like a while, but I was like, let me let me get to know her a little bit first and then maybe then she'll trust me a little bit more. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, honestly, uh, in the grand scheme of things, the running world is so small and it's honestly just been really lovely to be able to connect with people um, virtually and also in person. Um, I know that from social media and um, Strava stocking and all that. Um, I've been in Chicago many times and we've just had some near misses uh, with not being able to fully sync up and run together. But um, it's really nice to finally be able to connect. Yeah. And speaking of the running world being small, it's like, it, it's so funny that you, you know, you run with someone I used to coach, like Tonya. And I was like, wait, what? You two know yeah. each other? <laughs> exactly. And I mean, she just had her, she just had a really amazing marathon debut. And qualified for Boston, like it's no big deal. Um, so, and she's also just such a lovely human being. So um, when I say like the running world is really small, it's also filled with really lovely human beings. And so I'm always happy to um, to just expand our, like it sounds clinical to call it a network, but like it really is nice to be able to connect with other individuals. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I got asked the other day, like, what's your favorite part about the Chicago running community? And I was like, honestly, it's just the people I've met and I've, cause I've met a lot of good people doing it. And I think constantly about like, if I hadn't been running, I wouldn't know many of these people. Yeah. And I mean, Chicago is also just such a big hub for people to travel to for work, pleasure, school, you know? And so um, it does seem like an extra nice bonus to be able to I mean, it, at least I can say for myself, like when I've traveled to Chicago to visit my sister there, it's also been for work. And so to be able to just jump in and know where tracks are, know where um, like some of the November project people are, um, has been really cool. Cool. Oh, awesome. We, you know, jumped forward a little bit, but give people a little introduction about yourself. Like, where are you from? What do you do? You know, little, little along those lines. Sounds great. Um, uh, so... Everybody, my my name's Connie, um, and I am a Bay Area native. So I was born in San Francisco, raised along the peninsula, mostly in Cupertino. So if you are an iPhone user, um, that's where all of your settings default to. <laughs> um, I um, have mostly lived in California my entire life, but um, for a couple of years lived in Boston, and that was where my um, my firstborn was born, um, and also uh, where my second born child, we can get to that later, perhaps, but uh, where she got her name actually on the Boston Marathon course. So um, I've been running for over half my life. It's just something that brings me a lot of joy. And um, again, happy to be here talking to Mike about it. Yeah. And so in terms of what I do, um, I'm, I'm an educator. I have I am currently, um, I'm currently an assistant principal specializing in college and career counseling. Um, I used to teach 
uh, a college and career prep course, and before that, um, AP and world English literature. So um, just a lot of good, fun stuff. Love reading, love books. Um, for a while, I also coached high school cross country. Um, so when I say that, like running brings me a lot of joy. I also really love it when uh, other people can discover that joy too. You're you're still coaching now? I'm not. Um, I think being being an administrator um, definitely. Uh, presents some additional scheduling conflicts uh, with after-school sports. And so not so much now, though. Yeah, got to imagine that's tough. But I, I coach as well. I don't know if you knew that. And it's it's really fun. And I think, yeah, being an administrator would take away from that a little bit. But I'm glad that I can still be able to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really wonderful way to be able to connect with young people. I think it's a really, or, you know, at whatever, um, whatever, group age range um like level of experience a person might be coaching it's just a lovely way to meet people um connect with them and uh running i think is just such a lovely metaphor for so many things in a person's life and um especially the approach to how people might approach goals in general for their lives and so i think that is just such a nice way to build relationships and you know you know we are here to talk about running so let it, let me know how you got your start with running because following you on Instagram, I also see you play a lot of volleyball. And so I'm like, was that something you did in high school? Did you do both or did you just mostly do running? Oh, I'm mostly running. Um, let's see. I, I mean, I discovered running because of state fitness testing. Starting in fourth grade, we had to run a timed mile every single year. And I remember as a fourth grader, beating most of the boys in my class. And really, we only ran one times mile a year. It's not like we practiced for this. And so fourth grade, I remember running like a 840 mile. And then the next year I ran um, a sub eight mile. And I was just super stoked to um, honestly just beat a bunch of boys. Um, it made me feel really good about myself, uh, even though it wasn't something that I was consistently doing. But in middle school, I played tennis and I at tennis camp, it was like the first day of tennis camp, the summer, I want to say it was the summer of my eighth before my eighth grade year. And I ended up fracturing my left ankle and it was actually a compound fracture. So there were two breaks um, in my ankle and I had to get the cast and everything was on crutches. It was miserable. And then it wasn't until later on that year that I ran some middle school track, ran some home meets, and I wasn't sure that I really loved track, but then I discovered cross country. Um, I signed up for it my ninth grade, going into my ninth grade year, and all of a sudden, all the hills that were around my parents' place, it just felt like there was a wonderful purpose behind intentionally running hills and on dirt, getting burnt and all that kind of good stuff. And that I think was when I really, truly just loved running. I felt so free and I felt really unlimited um, as a young person. Of course, that also meant that because I wanted to make the varsity team, I was constantly re-rolling my injured ankle, but um, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny. I like, you know, most of the time, you know, I feel like most kids see like challenge. You, you coach most kids see challenges, and they're like, ah, I don't want to do this. And so it seems kind of like you saw challenges, and you're like, oh, this is fun, and like this is something where I feel like I can push myself a little more. 
Yeah, I do really like competition. I'm also a really anxious person. And so it can seem like those things are at odds with each other. And at the same time, I think that it can be really healthy to figure out where it is that a person might want to compete and figure out how it is that they want to compete. Um, I also think that as um, I want to say, like, as a girl, and also as a young, uh, young adult that identifies as a woman, um, I had felt sometimes there was just this desire to be competitive and not always feel super limited by my gender. Um, because I had been told by my parents, don't run, we don't, you know, your legs don't look great muscular like that. Um, like, culturally, it's just like not very attractive or, you know, something that people just don't approve of. And I, I remember thinking that I felt really empowered being able to do something that I felt like, even though it could give me a lot of feelings of anxiety, that I was also really, especially proud of myself when I felt like I was running really well and really fast and something that wasn't just like, you're fast for a girl, you're just fast. So uh, that's what, that's like really curious, like interesting to me, not curious, uh, like being an anxious person and then dealing with like meats, like how did you know, you work through that or how did you like that? How did others help you work through that when, you know, it came time to compete in high school? I think I never really figured it out in high school and I'm still figuring it out as a not so youngish adult now. Um, I didn't run in college. Uh, the focus was mostly on academics, getting my degree and all that kind of stuff, even though I continued to run for fun on my own. I just didn't I just didn't run to compete. I think I dealt with a lot of burnout as um, as an adolescent, primarily because there in the early 2000s, I think there really just wasn't a lot of investments in sports psychology, especially not for young people um, that are just getting into the sport. And so the idea of how do you manage anxiety? How do you manage racing nerves? How do you manage racing nerves when you also don't come from a background that is invested in sports uh, and athletics in general is just, I think, really, really difficult. And so I had a lot of dreams where I was making the worst. I was showing up to races without my running shoes, or I was running into the most headwind. These were basically nightmares that I had over and over and over, and they would happen before big meets. And Honestly, my way of dealing with it as a young person was to listen to so much Lincoln Park and uh, just trying to zone out, not really necessarily talk to people and then just figure it out as I lined up and started running. And I think that as an adult, I'm still trying to figure that out because I still revert back to listening to some of the same old songs, Lincoln Park. Um and a lot of Jay-Z just to get my mind back in a place where I feel familiar with, where I felt the most calm, at least lining up. And at the same time, I also recognized that where I was really limited as a young person was just not really knowing exactly how to channel a lot of those feelings. And so in this last year, year and a half or so of being really intentional about wanting to get a lot faster, wanting to train at a different level. I have also experienced an unprecedented number of panic attacks, sometimes during races. And I have been figuring that part out too um, and talking through it in therapy 
with friends and trying to be as transparent about how much of that in of itself is a journey. And I don't think there's an easy solution for it because I certainly haven't figured it out yet. And I'm still trying to figure out what it means to be really competitive and also what it means sometimes to have that pressure turn inward in a really toxic way. Yeah. You know, that's it's something that is, I mean, you don't, you don't, you've never had, you don't have to be transparent, but it is like been pretty interesting to follow along as like, you know, we've talked about your goals and our goals and it's been like, yeah, I've been like, honestly, I don't know if impressed is the right word, but like just enjoyed like you being honest and it's like, Hey, these are my goals. Like I didn't hit it. I went for it, but this happened. And hopefully like people, I think, see that and hear that. And they're like, you know, it's okay that these things happen. You know, we're not all just going to be perfect people. Yeah. Um, I share a lot of it because, I, I mean, if anybody follows me on Strava, um, I usually, I usually like to put in my, my notes on something and it's not necessarily for the audience as much as it is for me. I'm a big journaler and I like to remember uh, where I was at a certain point. Um, and I want to remember certain kinds of feelings or experiences because if I were to go back and I need to mentally prepare for something, I don't want to pretend like something did or did not happen. It's it's part of the preparation for the future. And at the same time, I also think it's really important, especially when I think about my own journey with running and also with a lot of other things in life. You know, I talked earlier about how I feel like running and athletics can be really telling about a person and the way that they set goals and um, the parallels in their lives. And the thing is, I, truth be told, it's not just in running, like I have put a lot of pressure, my pressure on myself in my personal and professional life as well. I think also as the child of immigrants, there's, there's something that I hear a lot from my students and fellow colleagues that have similar upbringings is that there's a lot of pressure to be perfect and to be able to do everything right and to be representative of only good things of the successes and the reality is is that not everything's going to be a success and at the same time like taking a swing and missing sometimes is already such a huge accomplishment and the trying part um, the opportunity to try is a privilege and um, something that I think needs to be recognized and celebrated more. So even though not everything in my racing in the last year, when I've been so intentional about being faster and uh, training for it, it, while it's disappointing, it's also something that I'm still working through now, um, that recognizing it's not really truly a full miss because I, I took an opportunity, I've made big goals and it's already scary to announce them and share them with close friends and also strangers sometimes. <laughs> and and it it's it's even lovely to be able to have um, an audience to share with. Yeah, I I really agree with you on like the trying. I think that's just a success in itself. And it's something I try to encourage like the kids I coach. And I'm not sure like where this comes from. It's like, I feel like there's just a need to be like perfect. I feel like in all aspects of life, I think in all, in a lot of the kids I coach and I'm like, you know, this should be like, yes, we want you to work hard, but like, I also want this to be like the fun part of your day where, you know, you come to practice and should be enjoyable, work hard, but you know, you're not getting graded on this. Like 
you know, yeah. make, make mistakes. Like, it's okay. Like, you know, I'm not gonna, you're not getting cut from the team, but that's something I'm working on. Like, how do I, I don't know how to get like that across, but like, it's definitely something that I'm working on. And, and as long as I'm coaching, we'll encourage mistakes always. Yeah. I think that I'm, I'm so glad that you named that because I do feel like there's that piece of wanting to be perfect all the time and then how it also manifests in not just our young people, but adults as well. I, I think I see this a lot. Well, I can speak only for like anecdotal um, evidence of friends um, and fellow teammates, those that identify women, oftentimes I hear them say, I want to hit this goal. And they're very conservative about their goals. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, you hit it during workouts. Like, of course you can hit this goal. Of course you can run this. Of course, of course, of course. And that self-doubt is there. Wanting to say, I am named, like wanting to speak to a goal that they know is absolutely attainable. And so something that I've been telling some of my friends more recently is, okay, they're about to race and well, why don't you black out a little bit? When's the last time you ran to the point where you blacked out a little bit? Not because it's actually, I want people to fully black out and put themselves in serious medical risk, but it's more of the idea of what happens if you do take a risk? You could, you could swing and miss and that's not always going to feel good, but isn't it also nice to try and speak to how hard you try? And I talk about this specifically for women primarily because I feel like that was something that I used to struggle with too. I want to improve my PR by a minute, two minutes or something along those lines. And I remember last year when I went on Natalie Mitchell's podcast, um, I said that I wanted to cut my half marathon PR by nearly five minutes. And that's not, that's not a small difference. And I think I gave myself something like six weeks to train for that. And I I remember being really scared, just saying out loud, this is my goal. And also to an unnamed, unknown audience. And at the same time, there was something really liberating about saying that I want to do something really audacious. And I really want to try for something really big, because even if I fail, I'm probably going to do so much better than I ever have before. And I really want to experience what that feels like. And I really hope for that for more people. It doesn't have to be perfect, but when trying really big things, you can also still accomplish something really incredible, even if you don't quite hit your goal. Yeah, I think you can learn a lot about yourself. And it it seems like in, you know, trying to set these goals that you have, you know, learned a lot about yourself, even if they haven't been as successful as, you know, you've wanted. Yeah, very much so. I think there just isn't always enough celebration of an attempt at something really big. And I hate to call it really failure because I don't think that it's really failure when you when you try. I think the attempt is such a big deal. And you're training for Boston right now, correct? Uh, training might be a bit generous. Um, Boston, I have approached as like a birthday celebration run for a number of years. Um, I first qualified for Boston back in 2012 and then, but be, but because of the timing, I didn't actually run 2013 when the bombing happened. The bombing actually happened on my birthday in 2013. So my very first Boston was in 2014 
And it was very much a, a celebration of just the resilience of the running community and also of Boston, the Boston community, just that event and what it meant to all come together um, to honestly celebrate what I see as like human achievement. You know, these are personal goals. People run for a lot of personal reasons. And it, it was just really, really moving to be there. And then, so I ran Boston every year through 2019 and then only didn't continue because of COVID and didn't requalify until end of 2021. And the way I see it is that because of my very first experience at Boston was very much a celebration of what it means to come together as a community through running. I still see it as that. I'm not planning on racing it. I'm not planning on PRing or anything. I really just want to be there for the sake of it just being such a celebration of achievement. It's also where my son was born. He was born at St. Elizabeth's. And then my daughter, so I was pregnant in 2014 when I first ran it. And then in 2018, that gnarly year, I was pregnant again. My daughter, um, I found out she was a girl after the fact, but my friend Grace, who was also pregnant with a little girl, was at mile 22-ish, and she yelled at me, Deslin and Juan, and I was so miserable up in that point. I was telling myself every mile I might drop out, and when she said that, I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like, this kid, this kid is special because ah, this kid needs to be named Des or something like that, so um, this, this particular course um, and this event holds a very special place in my heart and in my life. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really cool story. <laughs> um, I, like, I, I think it's really cool. Like that's how, so is it, De- Des- is that your daughter's name? Is it- It's Desiree. I remember thinking it was Des and my friend, um, Tracy, who, um, who I also met through social media. Actually, we have yet to meet online, but she, she was just like, this kid is a Des. Like, let's figure out whether it's a boy or a girl, but honestly, girl should be Desiree. And so my daughter's name is Desiree. We call her Desi. That's awesome. <laughs> I remember because I was at 2018 as well, and I experienced a lot of those same feelings. And I asked multiple people who won, and they were like, we don't know. <laughs> I was like, come on, give me some good news. <laughs> Exactly. I think we were all just waiting for, just let me finish this. I just want to go from point A to point B and then let me get warm. Yeah. I was like, I always tell the funny story. It's like, I knew I was in trouble that day because I got hungry. And I was like, I never get hungry during races. I saw someone eating pizza and I was like, oh, I could go for that right now. And I was like, uh oh. (laughs) (laughs) At that point, you're like, I think I've transitioned from a marathoner to an ultra marathoner. Yeah, I was like, all right, time to run, walk it in. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was such a miserable year. Um, oh but also, just like, a, it was obviously also a really uplifting year for Deslin and Juan uh, to win. I can get my senses right. For Deslin and to win was just something that was just super, super cool to have witnessed while on the course, because even though I didn't see it happen, the fact that my friend told me about it and also after the fact, knowing her journey, just her own, in her own words, naming that she wanted to drop out, uh, wanting to be there for fellow Americans and then coming back to win it is just really, truly inspiring. Um, I think it says a lot about what, honestly, a lot of runners are really like, where they can be super fixated on a goal and whatnot, and that 
sometimes like really, really not love what they're doing, but also wanting to be there for other people too and wanting to cheer them on. And so I think that there's just so many good stories that have emerged from that really terrible weather race um, that's been super uplifting outside of my daughter getting her name. Yeah. And so just to kind of like connect all of this, you know, you said after high school, you dealt with a, a little bit of burnout. What, what brought you to racing in general, like post-college? Cause you said you didn't run in college. Well, you ran like actively, but not for a college. But so what brought you to back to racing, like where you enjoyed it? Um, so in college, I ran my very first marathon. It was in 2009. I think it was like 20, not quite 21. Um, I had a car accident the day before and my clavicle was like totally not in place and whatnot. But I remember thinking that I just wanted a BQ. It was something that I wanted since I was in high school because my coach had talked to us about her journey with running and how she went to Boston and I was super inspired. I thought, oh, this is just something that I have to do. I want to do it by the time I was 25. And so it was just one of those young people things like, I want to do this before I'm old at 25. I say that only because, like I said, I'm a high school administrator. I hear from my students all the time, like, oh, yeah, 24 is like when you're middle aged. And I'm, I laugh about it. Um, but yeah, I thought by 25, I really need to do this big, scary thing. It's just a big deal. It's the it's the world's oldest marathon. And I, if I can do this, it means that I will have achieved something great personally for myself even though, you know, I'm far from doing this professionally. And that very first marathon, I, I didn't qualify. I was in so much pain. I think I ran like a 349 or something, which was a miracle considering that I had a car accident <laughs> the day before um, and was clearly not okay. But I remember just being so upset about it. I swore off marathons. I said, oh man, I'm not going to do marathons. And then, at, I mean, I kept running because it just, it gave me a sense of relief. It helped me feel set for the day. And then I remember signing up for an ultra marathon as a fundraiser for Minds Matter, which is a non nonprofit that um, is really focused on helping young people um, coming from low income backgrounds get to college um, and through college. And I remember thinking, well, I'm just going to fundraise for them and I'm going to run an ultra marathon because I, I clearly didn't, I feel a little sore on the subject of marathoning because I'd never be cute, but I'm going to go do an ultra marathon. I'm sure this might resonate with some people like, oh, I'm not good at this one thing. So I'm going to go try something else that's harder maybe and more unreasonable. Um, so I signed up for, for the North Face Endurance 50 miler over in Marin and it ended up being a terrible storm weekend. So I, I remember... I remember preparing for it at the time I was in graduate school down in LA, not even in the Bay Area where I'm originally from. And I I was just running all the time. I but it was in in these big like 10 mile chunks. I would run 10 miles before breakfast and then I would run 10 miles after school. And then I would run like maybe a few more miles after dinner or something along those lines. And then I decided to sign up for a marathon in 2012 as a training run for my 50 miler. And that was my first BQ. Um, and it was then that I, I felt actually pretty good about road racing again, even though I'm not so sure even now that I like the marathon distance. Uh, but it, it just breathed new life in the running piece where I felt like, oh, yeah, I could. I remembered this goal that I had when I was a 
when I was 14 years old. And all of a sudden, I think it's in reach again. And then for a long time, I didn't want to necessarily get faster. I just thought it's enough that I even got to Boston. And um, but then I discovered this thing like the quarter century club, where if you run 25 consecutive Boston's in a row, you're on this nice little list. I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, there are mostly men on here because they don't get pregnant. They don't have to recover postpartum. That must be nice. And I remember setting a whole new goal thinking like, okay, I made it to my first boss and I want to keep coming back. I want to be on this list. Um, that was obviously before the pandemic. So um, I just, it, it was just swinging from one goal to another and one experience to another. <laughs> That's kind of wild that you're like, I'm not going to run another marathon. And then you qualified without I don't even say trying, but like, like not your main goal. Like, is that, is that something you think like help just take the pressure off where it's like, I'm not even thinking about it. And you're just like, like you spoke to earlier, you can like run a little bit more freely. Yeah, I think so. Um, I remember, so my, my marathon PR is from CIM, the California international marathon in 2021. And that particular marathon, I was coming off of my first cross-country season since high school, senior year. So over half a lifetime later, I decided to start cross-country. I joined a new running club, Oakland Track Club. And it was because I wanted to try some things that I had not done in a while. And I signed up for CIM two and a half weeks before. And I thought, well, why not? I'm just going to jump in. Let's see what happens. Let's just see what happens. So many teammates are going, why not? If it sucks, I could just run it in and not, I, I don't need a PR. I'm not, I'm not, I don't expect a PR on two and a half weeks before the race just popping in. And it was funny because I, I did run a PR. And during that race, I stopped to pee four times because I didn't know how to drink water. I didn't know really how to fuel. And I drank way too much water. And it, it's just a comedy of errors that also worked out really well because there was no pressure. And I think sometimes it, it's really nice to be able to say, like, I let go, you know, to, for a person to turn for myself, let go of a very strict training regimen and just see what happens and trust, trust my fitness, trust my, trust my headspace a little bit more and try to send it. I mean, that's awesome. And it's, you know, hopefully, you know, whatever you set forth in your next goals that, you know, you know, you don't put too much pressure on yourself and just kind of enjoy, enjoy what's happening. Like, like living in the moment kind of deal. Yeah. I think that there's that saying, pressure is a privilege. And I absolutely believe that's true. And I also think that sometimes there's so much, there's also pressure to lean into pressure. And it's not always a good thing. And I think also, sometimes there's, at least from what I've experienced in this last year, forcing, just continuing to add pressure, even though it may not actually serve me anymore, to the point where it's actually really toxic, uh, that I've that I'm trying to still figure out and back off from and heal from in order to reorient myself towards new goals. That that part has also been uh, an ongoing learning. And, you know, along those lines, um, I know you do, you've done a lot of cross country stuff. You've done a, a lot of stuff with the team. How does, how does that help, you know, with some of the pressure you put on yourself? Because it seems like you have a really nice, support group just from what I can, you know, follow online. Yeah. Um, it's, 
I think the running community in general is just a really lovely space of a lot of people who are very interested in working on themselves and also showing up for each other. I think the part that I've really enjoyed most about the last few months has been taking some of that pressure off of myself and reorienting myself towards how I can be a better teammate and supporter of other people towards their goals. I've, and this is not necessarily a new thing. Before I joined um, Oakland Track Club, I was part of Arte. Um, and that was a, that is a running club that started over in Santa Cruz and has satellite, um, satellite teams all around the Bay Area, actually all over the United States. And it is a women's only team. And I remember going and seeking that kind of experience out primarily because what I really wanted was to know more strong female role models um, in my life as a new mom and somebody who was trying to figure out their, their relationship with running and racing. It was a really, really good space for me to be in. And then I remember, I remember some of the best times, even now, like as an adult running and racing has been cheering for teammates and helping people through workouts and pacing and all that kind of stuff. And now I say like recently, it's been going back to that primarily because if I'm not necessarily chasing down a PR and I'm not super hyper focused on myself, there's still so much that I can still give. And I'm not coaching at my campus right now, but it doesn't mean that I can't still contribute um, to rooting for other people in different ways, whether it's through a workout, whether it's through handing off fluids um, or fuel on course or something like that, cheering for people. Um, it's just, it's a lovely way to be connected with other people in something that's honestly like really, probably really intimate to them. I think about my own goals and how closely I hold them to my chest. And I think that running is such a, is a sport where you're, you're, very you are very vulnerable with your goals when you are out there performing and whether it's in a workout or an actual race and so any way that i can connect with people through that is really meaningful yeah and i think that's a great way to support others and it's also you know mario frioli on his podcast has talked about you know connecting the back of the pack to the front of the pack and i think cheering for others is you know, one of those ways we could do that just because I, you know, I wonder in many ways, it's like, how do we make all people feel welcome that like, you know, at these running clubs at, you know, races, just because sometimes people are like, Oh, well, that was fast for me. I was like, well, yeah, that's, that's good. You like, you ran a fast race for yourself. Like don't compare it to others. Like just enjoy, enjoy the time you ran. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's the sitting with that sense of, pride in your own accomplishments. I think that it also is just super meaningful, obviously, when other people are really amplifying that, right? Like your version of fast may not necessarily be somebody else's version of fast, but I think we've all been there knowing how hard it is to push, right? Um, and also encouraging other people to perhaps push more. So I know that I've, I, I joke with people or like, jokingly encourage people like black out a little bit but it's more of the idea of actually you have a lot more to give before you black out um and put yourself at actual like harm 
Um, but I think that especially for people that don't necessarily have a relationship with uh, like high school sports, college sports, middle school sports, they might not necessarily know exactly where their limits are. And the potential there is actually really significant, more so than I think most people are giving themselves credit for. Like you can actually, you can actually go a lot faster and it's just going to be uncomfortable. How are you okay with discomfort? And it's, it's discomfort. It's not pain. And something I also wanted to ask is like, it seems like you're, you're a pretty active person and you've, you know, you're assistant principal, got two kids. And then you also, you know, you're, you, I see you, like you also play many instruments. <laughs> How do you, how do you balance all of that, like, you know, with, you know, athletic goals and running and, you know, what, how do you determine, like, what's a priority at the time? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I, oh, I, for better or worse, I guess I'm a streaker. I've been running almost every single, just about every day for a decade and a half, um, with the exception of pregnancy and also a really bad sprain that I had um, about a month ago. Um, don't recommend that for everybody. Please do not just start doing a run streak without doing strength training, talking to a PT, talking to people that are not me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I've been running for a long time. And so the way that I see it is like, I, I, I feel this deeply. I need to run every day, even if it's just one mile. It's just my, my time for myself. And if I can't make that, time for myself, then it's going to be really difficult for me to go through and process a lot of the rest of my day. It just sets me right. And so if it's one mile, I can, I can figure out six to eight minutes of time for me. Granted, the dressing part and getting ready for it is probably going to take more time than the actual running part, but it just helps me get right. Um, I, I grew up playing piano. I also see some of those habits and routines that I started as a young person, just sticking with me. I really like routine and even 10 minutes. I can do anything for 10 minutes. <laughs> and if I can have even 10 minutes of that thing, it's going to be great. I am recently divorced. And so my ex and I have a one week on, one week off kind of situation. And we do Wednesday to Wednesday so that Quite frankly, it works out just fine where I can alternate when my big workouts are going to be, my long runs. I can figure out I have a great sitter, a couple of great sitters, actually. And I think I'm very, very fortunate to have found really good people and also to be in a position to be able to afford help. And all things considered, it just means a lot of scheduling, scheduling Tetris, quite frankly. And also just being very aware of what are the things that I very much want to keep. So I I play volleyball. I don't play it as often as I would like. And that's what I have to be okay with. And I also know that there are other, I have a lot of hobbies and I, I know I'm not going to do all of them every single day. And so the ones that I want to keep every day are the ones that I keep every day. And then those that I'm not quite as interested in keeping every day because it's just too much, it's too hard. I'm not. When my kids are with me, they are the priority. And I try to incorporate them into as many of the activities and expose them to as many of the activities that I like to do. So 
to me, that means music, that means rock climbing, that means playing basketball, teaching them foursquare or volleyball, keeping them active, biking, taking them to museums and doing art with them. And so the more that I can expose them to a whole bunch of stuff, hopefully some of it lands and they also learn some things about themselves in the process. Yeah. And so I have a couple of questions that, you know, that came from that, you know, running is a sport where often routine is broken, where, you know, whether it be doing a race, like the plan is not going like you want it or like, you know, workout you know, might have to change it up a little bit. How, how is that? You know, how do you deal with that when it's broken? Like if you're, you know, typically a, I have like mostly like where routine is like where you thrive. I, there's routine certainly where I thrive and there's also just as I've gotten older and also having children, it's been a process to figure out how to be flexible. And so you might hear in the background, my kids are yelling and it is fine. They're, they're playing and it's great. Um, But also, I mean, just in general, I think that something to think about is just how not everything has to be perfect. This goes back to earlier in our conversation about how people can feel like everything just needs to be perfect. They need to be perfect. And the reality is, it's like asking everything to come together in any given situation for a workout, for a race is just absolutely not something of any given person can control for. Boston 2018 was a really great example of this. In fact, also 2015, when it was also rainy and cold, just not nearly as bad. You can't control for weather. You can't control for how your stomach might feel. Boston 2017, I got norovirus and I actually DNF'd for the very first time because I started throwing up at mile 16 and I could not stop. Like you can't control for absolutely everything. And I think that there's something to be said about building good habits. And it's always going to be difficult to trust yourself with how much preparation you've done to um, to be able to balance out the, the kind of flexibility you just need for life to be okay with what life is going to throw your way. I think that uh, the more that it's possible to talk to other people and get perspective and also, quite frankly, experience some failure, it's a really good learning process. Yeah, I, I agree. I would, Like I said, I've I always try to tell the kids I, I coach, like, let's, let's do this. Let's learn from it. And, you know, that's the best way we're going to move forward. I actually have a, like, after each race, um, I learned this from Mike Smith. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he coaches at NAU. And this is like a variation of something he does, but I have them like fill out like a five question survey after each race, just as a way to like try and get inside their head. Like, so mostly for them, so they can like, you know, write it down and be like, all right, this is, this is how we can move. I can move forward from, you know, this race and, or how I can learn. So I think it's like, I think I agree with like what you're saying. Like, yeah, you know, like we, obviously we don't want to call it failure, but sometimes, you know, that's the best way to learn from, you know, things you're doing and, you know, correct it in the future or adjust. Yes, absolutely. And I I think that sometimes, there are a couple words that I think that sometimes get just such a bad rep and I, I, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how I want to like my relationship with these words myself. But like, I don't think that failure, the older I get, I don't think failure is really a terrible thing. I also don't think that selfish is as terrible of a word as it, it can sound or like what it can carry for people. I think that sometimes you do, you do have to protect your process, you protect your peace and all of that. And, and you can call it selfish or you can also that's that's some version of self-care or self-preservation too i think that failure doesn't always need to carry the the whole enormity of what a person might carry when they hear that word um 
But again, those those are my my feelings towards those particular terms. And I know that that's not true for everybody. And at the same time, I think that ultimately, those are really important lessons for a given person to learn about themselves. How do they protect their peace? How do they how do they protect their their time spent um, training or preparing for a thing for themselves versus others? And how much are they giving to themselves versus how much they're giving to others? And then for something like failure, like what does it actually mean to try for something really, really hard and miss that? And how do you then also figure out how to, how to, how to deal with that with your relationship with yourself in the aftermath? And so I think it's really, really cool that you do that with your athletes because that is a piece that was oftentimes missing growing up running cross country and track and feeling sometimes like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. That led to the burnout because I just felt terrible about myself sometimes after a bad race. And it, it didn't even mean that I was bad at something or it didn't need to mean that I was a failure. But those were some of the things that I carried that turned into anxiety and burnout. Yeah, it's just a constant, you know, ever changing thing we just have to work on. And hopefully, like you said, it's not just kids, you know, adults that where we can something we can eventually be, you know, better at. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's it's taking away that pressure of needing to be perfect. And I think, I think too, especially with running culture and what social media brings is this idea of like, are you going to name, if you happen to name a goal and you don't happen to hit it, does that mean you're a failure? Absolutely not. I mean, the process also was something really big, but again, easy to say, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still going through it myself. I had a really big goal for a marathon last year. I didn't hit it and I'm still recovering from it. Yeah. Um, so Another like kind of a big broad question that I wanted to ask that I've asked a lot of people who have come on is like in this sport, you know, we're trying to make it more welcoming and more diverse. And like, as I talk to more people, I'm realizing it's also just not about race. Like diversity isn't just race. Like how do we make like just people feel more welcomed and especially with like the news from uh, I can't remember the organization, but banning like trans women in like athletic competition. Like it's like, I just, well, trying to think of ways that we can make people feel more welcomed in the sport. That's, I mean, it's such a big question. I think that there's so many different ways to approach it. I think a lot of it first comes with acknowledging that running in general is, it's it's still a privilege. Being able to run and run safe is just a privilege in of itself. Um, it's not actually a reality for everybody to just put on their shoes and go outside and hit the pavement. It's going to be okay. Um, not everybody has access to a track. And also, quite frankly, a lot of tracks are close to the public, increasingly so. And it's such a bummer because when uh, when a person, especially a young person, is trying to figure out where is it safe to go outside to run, where is it safe to go outside running by myself, it, it becomes a huge question mark. Okay, well, you know, if I can't even go outside, just step outside my door and just start going and feel safe, people are not, are not necessarily going to do it. Um, I think there's that piece, trying to figure out how we can create truly more safe spaces around, physically safe spaces around running. Where can we have designated meetups? Where can we have designated running routes? Uh, for not just adults, but also for our young people. 
That also means investing in our sports programs. Running for a lot of sports also is considered a punishment. Oh, go run laps because you didn't do that X, Y, and Z. Or like, oh, this is just conditioning. It's not just that. It's sure, it's physical conditioning, but it's also a lot of mental conditioning as well. And I would really hope to see a shift in what running means in athletics in general as not punishment, but as a, as a really wonderful way to um, set goals and discover self and all that kind of good stuff. I also think that um, so yeah, investing in young people's youth programs around running and community programs around running. I think also just having more of this, I think it's a mixture of having more of a running meetup culture of encouraging people to show up, encouraging people to come out and meet each other. And I also think it's a, it's a thing to encourage each other to really compete too. I think that in the last few years, I've just been more and more aware of people that while they want certain kinds of goals, um, there's still some, there's a lot of, I guess, negging of self around what it actually means to be fast. And you said this earlier, like, you know, you, you ran, if you ran a great race, if you ran a PR, if you ran your version of fast, that is really significant. And, and, hear, and hearing it from, having it recognized from other people is really important, I think, to build up that self-confidence. And I, I would really hope that there's more of that, celebrating any given person's version of fast, really encouraging people to come out, do a fast workout. You don't need to compare yourself to like Shalane Flanagan's standard for what have you, but it's important to still, I think, show up and try and push yourself a little bit, right? And feel and feel like there's a whole community really rooting for you to do so as well. Like it's really cool that you just did this really cool hard thing, did a hard workout. You you ran a really fast time and we're just happy that you did it. I think that more communities can be more about that. Yeah, it seems like the common answer, you know, is kind of money. And like you said, it's like putting on your shoes and running is not always the answer for everybody. So hopefully, you know, in the years to come and this sport, it's getting better, but hopefully it continues to improve and eventually it becomes a space for where everyone feels safe, you know, not just, you know, people of certain gender or races. Yeah. And when, when, when we look at different kinds of races, whether they're local or if they have like a lot more publicity because they're a lot more international, there's like, you know, a really huge following around it. I think I, I, I really do think that there's a certain kind of self-awareness that really needs to happen within these um, these organizations that are putting on these races to recognize that they can do better about outreach. They can do better about having their training runs and their group runs and where they're choosing to house them. Like I, I see emails from Twin Cities all the time. I see emails from CIM all the time. Like, are they really choosing locations where they know that are truly accessible for a more diverse community? It's not even just about the race itself, but they have plenty of training newsletters. They have plenty of plenty of formal and informal meetups that are happening. Could they do better? Absolutely. I think so. So we spent a lot of time talking about running. I want to ask you like a couple of like more fun, loose ended questions. Um, one that I like to ask people is like, what, you know, what do you do out for fun outside of athletics? Yeah. Um, and Mike, I know that you, you see this through my social media. Um, I like hanging out with my kids. I, I play a lot of chess with my son. 
um, again, staying away from the non-athletic stuff. Um, music has always been a really big part of my life, and I've been really intentional about wanting to invest more in it as an adult. Like I took a big step back, not playing piano for a really long time, despite spending um, like a decade and a half training pretty intensely on piano. Um, so bringing that back, playing guitar, um, playing terrible violin. Um, that was the new instrument I started up. Brings a lot of joy. I love art. I discovered um, that I re- I really do like painting with acrylic. I, last year, for the very first time, um, love love playing with that. I love acrylic because if I mess up, I just cover it up with more paint, and it is lovely. <laughs> so make more mistakes. Um, there's the common theme in that. I love going to museums. I love going to live performances. I love theater live music performance as well. Um, I'm definitely very much an arts and humanities person. And I I love being able to see how people can be creative. And um, also, I love seeing specifically how culture really emerges um, in what it is that people are creating, collaborating over. So any opportunity to be able to see live and live performance for that is amazing. Anytime that I get to see like visual art and representations of that. It's really amazing. Um, and you know, on my own, I, I, when I'm not with the kids, I also just love to be more experimental with food too. I like to take myself out on solo dates to try out different restaurants and whatnot. That's always really fun. Um, I moved to Oakland from Alameda, not super far, but very different vibe. And so um, getting to explore different things around Oakland, different places to eat and hang out, just generally really, really nice. I love the solo date idea. I, uh, like in high school, I started going to concerts by myself, like just because a lot of my friends lived in the suburbs. And I was like, oh, this is actually not as bad as I thought. It's it's actually pretty fun. I think it's super fun. Um, I think I, I love it primarily because you really do. You don't have to ask anybody else for permission to do something. It's like, oh, yeah, I think I want to do this thing. I I'm also not going to pretend like safety isn't a thing. I'm a relatively small female. I'm like five, three on a good day. Um, and so some things that I also do have to consider are like when I'm, when I'm taking myself out on a solo date, certainly when I'm also running alone, um, I want to be very aware of where it is that I'm going. But that said, I think that with a little bit of planning, it's never a bad idea to just date yourself and really intentionally choose how to spend your time and what would bring a lot of joy without having to ask permission from anybody else. No, I love it. And I highly support it. Um, do you have a favorite live performance you've seen recently? Oh. It could be anything like art, music, play, like comedy act. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I have really enjoyed in general in the last couple of years, actually, is just getting a chance to see performances at the, uh, getting to see the San Francisco Opera and also the San Francisco Ballet. So, for example, one of the things that I really love doing with my kids in the last two winter seasons is to take them to the Nutcracker. And the productions weren't absolutely identical, which is really nice, but it was a nice way to um, just do a very holiday feeling sort of tradition with my kids, um, to dress up, see a performance, and just see how cool the dance and 
and music can be. I love that combination of like music and um, music and dance, which I think is really fun. Um, San Francisco also, San Francisco and South San Francisco also have um, some really great um, dance culture. And so a friend, um, my friend Jasmine, who has since moved to LA, and she's just a fantastic runner and also fantastic dancer. She introduced me to bachata and I, I had danced salsa um, way back when, and this was discovering a new kind of dance and um, dabbling in it a bit has been a lot of fun. So I highly recommend people just trying something new out. Um, and I, I think that also um, there have been some really, really great productions um, all around the Bay Area, but Cambodian rock band over at the Berkeley Repertory Theater has also been a really fun experience because it's a less typical uh, story. Um, and it it's very interesting to see the combination of some really cool music, some really fantastic acting, and also just a really interesting storyline with um, with what it might mean to be a refugee from a uh, homeland. And then as like the child of immigrants uh, or a child of refugees trying to figure out what that imaginary homeland actually might mean for them. Uh, yeah. So one of the things I've enjoyed I, in the past, like watching your Instagram is like, you know, having like you having people like guess the song you're playing or like, or like, like yeah. whatever you're playing. Um, do you have a favorite song that you're trying to learn or that you want to learn? Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. I don't know. I, with, so I, I taught myself acoustic guitar like ages ago. I haven't played in a really long time. And mo- more recently, I've been dabbling in it again, along with rock time, which I hadn't been doing for also over a decade. So I'm all around just wrecking my hands, trying to rebuild palaces. Um, I really, I was a big Goo Goo Dolls fan um, for a while. Um, love playing a lot of Michelle Branch songs, um, other like emo, emo light music that was popular in the <laughs> 2000s. Um, so there's definitely a desire to like go back to it um, and uh, just trying to get the technique down again to be able to play it, um, play songs like more with more confidence. Um, with piano, um, I was mostly trained for like classical and romantic music. And so uh, I've been playing a lot of Beethoven and Liszt um, on the piano. Definitely not doing that on guitar <laughs> and definitely not advanced enough on violin, which is still like very squeaky. Um, so piano, we what I do more for fun, and I do this with my kids especially, is I'll play show tunes or I will play Disney songs and we have a game called like guess the song before bedtime and so you know it might be something from Anastasia it might be something from Lion King or Aladdin and you know they get the song yay you know congrats you can go to bed actually no they're gonna go to bed regardless um and then as for guitar it's just more of like the something that's acoustic and pretty so um the more recent one that I've been dabbling with has been uh the greatest story ever told i think that's oliver james um g major nice and easy uh but also what got me to pick it up was because i was um trying to get um the the intro right for shallow lady gaga and bradley cooper from the stars born um and i was like wow i'm really rusty i really need to get back into it um and yeah that's been the inspiration 
So maybe ask again in like, you know, a month or two months more informally. Um, I'll have a better repertoire. All right. Final question. And this kind of goes back to running. But you like, I think another thing I've noticed is like you kind of known for like the big bow for when you like when you race. Like, how did that get started? Oh, um, I think. Well, not I think. I take a lot of pride in, um, you know, I think you might have gotten this from earlier, meeting boys, beating boys at the Times Mile when I was in fourth grade. Uh, I take a lot of pride in racing pretty fast for a hobby runner. And also with, I think, how I how I look. And so maybe this is like a self-perception thing versus, you know, what other, how others perceive me. But when I look at myself, I at five three and I I don't I'm not I'm not like a ninety pound five three runner. Um like I'm twenty pounds over that. But it it is enough where like sometimes just like the image of what it means to be a serious runner or like a serious even a, a serious hobby runner. Um I don't think that I look like that. And so when I started racing again, like just wanting to maybe like a year and a half ago, like really wanting to compete. Um, and even actually a little bit before that, especially when I was in, I think it started when I was a part of Arte, the all women's running club. I really wanted to lean into taking pride in how I identify and also just being super transparent with how femme I want to be perceived. And so that meant I'm going to race with really bold lipstick. I'm going to start racing with this big bow and it just stuck. So when I show up to race, there is this desire to put on what is now like my race face and my race uniform, so to speak. It's not just wearing my singlet and the right kind of bottoms and the shoes. Um, it also means getting my game face on, my race face on and putting on the bow and really leaning into this character or like this version of myself that is ready to compete and be a representative of um, in a lot of ways, something that is also a little bit beyond me. Like it's racing for those that might be perceived as like, oh, but you're you're just a girl, and you know, or you're fast for a girl, or you don't look like a runner. You don't look like you would be fast. And I want very much to show up in my version of what it means to be fast and furious and competitive, um, and hope that you know other people might see something in that that's also, you know, resonates with them. I think that's awesome. And I know like just following you and just talking to you via DM, like you've inspired me to like set bigger goals. So, you know, keep setting those big goals and uh, look forward to following you and seeing how, you know, things transpire. And hopefully one of these times you're in Chicago, we'll, we'll end up linking up somehow. Well, I'm going to be there mid-May. And I know for as much as I've been to Chicago, especially this last year, we kept on having misses because of scheduling, but I will be there mid-May. So I'll, I'll reach out and let you know the dates that I'm there. Awesome. Well, thank you for, you know, spending, you know, this time with this afternoon with me, Friday your afternoon with me. And uh, I appreciate you again. And then I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Mike. Of course. Have a good one. You too. Take care. 
Connie, thank you for taking time out of your day to join me. I really appreciate it. Keep chasing those big goals in whatever aspect of life it's in. I look forward to following the journey. Don't be afraid to DM me a guest suggestion as well. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you soon.